Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, May 5th. Coming up, we'll bring you a conversation with the first transgender lawmaker in Kansas. But first, some headlines. Anti-abortion advocates in Missouri are hoping a constitutional amendment will make it clear that the right to an abortion doesn't exist in the state's constitution. KCUR's Dan Margulies has more. Missouri already has a so-called trigger ban that would prohibit nearly all abortions if the U.S. Supreme Court were to overturn Roe v. Wade. Two constitutional amendments proposed this legislative session would allow voters to amend Missouri's constitution to say that nothing in it provides a right to an abortion. Anti-abortion activists are hoping the leaked draft opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court striking down Roe will jumpstart support for those amendments, according to the Missouri Independent. Kansas voters will decide in August whether to approve a similar amendment to the Kansas Constitution. It would nullify a Kansas Supreme Court decision finding that abortion is a fundamental right under the state's constitution. COVID cases have doubled in the last month in Kansas City as another variant gains traction in the area, KCUR's Alex Smith reports. The BA.2.12.1 subvariant is believed to be more transmissible than BA.2 and is driving some surges of COVID cases in the northeastern United States. New federal data show that this subvariant makes up about two in five cases in the Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska region. The Kansas City area is now averaging about 132 new COVID cases per day, twice the rate from a month earlier, but still lower than during most of the pandemic. Hospitalizations have continued to decline and now average 48 per day. Public schools in Kansas are starting to feel the pinch from enrollment losses tied to the COVID-19 pandemic. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service has more. Kansas is down more than 15,000 students statewide, and fewer students means less state funding. State officials say many of those students enrolled in virtual or homeschooling. The Olathe School District is facing a budget shortfall of more than $20 million heading into next school year. Officials plan to eliminate some library clerks, kindergarten aides, and other positions. Deputy Superintendent John Hutchison says public schools have to face the budget impact of a COVID exodus. Declining and at best flat enrollment prevents us from waiting any longer. You know, more money and gro- from growth isn't really going to be coming. Similar cuts are happening in Wichita and Lawrence. Both districts are cutting dozens of teacher positions or leaving vacancies unfilled. Low-income Kansans charged with crimes could have better access to legal defense after the Kansas legislature gave public defenders $7 million in raises. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports on the Board of Indigence Defense Services. That money will boost morale, attract new staff, and retain qualified employees, public defenders say. Executive Director of the Board, Heather Cessna, welcomes the money but wishes more was done. She wants to hire more public defenders and says past attempts to do so have not been successful enough. Not having um, counsel to provide that representation, you know, is a failing of our constitutional obligation. Cessna says the state is taking a step in the right direction, but it will take years to adequately address shortages in the public defense system. 
This is the second year on the job for the first transgender lawmaker in Kansas. Representative Stephanie Byers of Wichita, a Democrat, has experienced discriminatory comments from the public and from fellow lawmakers, and she's sat through hearings on bills that would limit the ability of trans girls and women to play on sports teams that match their gender. But she told me over Zoom that what keeps her going is her chance to make a difference. Here's our conversation edited for length. Generally, how has the session been for you? I think this session has been more emotionally charged than my first session. Now, it, it may simply be because the fact that, you know, it was so green last year that the expression that it's like trying to take a drink of water out of a fire hose is so apropos. There's so much information coming at you that, that I didn't have time to maybe react as much. Uh, this one's been been tough. Because, you know, uh, being a, a transgender woman, we knew going in that we were going to see legislation that was going to attack the trans community. And that stayed in the back of my mind. And then when it actually did happen, uh, it wasn't just legislation alone. It was accompanied by hateful comments on social media, hateful emails, and, you know, as well as just an incredible number of people stepping up in support. But there's an, an, an emotional exhaustion that comes from having those repeated attacks over and over again. So as you mentioned, there were a number of bills relating to LGBTQ issues, uh, especially in schools this year. Um, I'm wondering, since you're a former educator, how do you feel about some of those? One of the things that frustrates me, extremely frustrates me on these things, is that when we talk about American exceptionalisms, one of those exceptionalisms in my book is the public school, the willingness to educate everyone, to meet people where they're at and try to move them as far as we can to give them the best chance at, at a, a well-rounded life when they leave school. And in connection with that, we have created uh, a sense of safety and one that's well-deserved so that you come to school and you're in a safe place. You're in a place where people respect who you are. You're in a place where you can ask questions and, and discover knowledge. And here we come with this these bills of rights that aren't really parental rights. They serve no purpose except for to attack educators and give a way to restrict people from finding out information about themselves and where to go. We've created now a school where it's questionable as to whether or not it's safe to go in. And not just for the students that walk in the doors because of the same negative ideology being pushed out, resulting in people being elected to school boards across Kansas. We have educators that are walking into classrooms unsure if it's a safe place to be anymore. We've, we've lived in a country that, that doesn't seem to care enough uh, about weapons to figure out some way to keep them out of schools. And so we see school shootings every now and then. As a teacher, you go into the building, you wonder if today is the day that someone's going to come into your school. Um, and you think, what are my plans? What am I going to do? How am I going to take care of my kids? And that's just heightened. And then with all the other rhetoric on top of that, now you're wondering, it's not just if someone's going to come in and, and you know, bring a firearm in. Now it's also someone going to come in and take my textbooks out of my classroom and tell me I can't teach that anymore. You know, the true life diary of a part-time Indian is no longer allowed in some places. Those, those type of things, it just adds stress onto stress. And 
when you take a 10,000 foot view, it really looks like an intentional undermining and destabilizing of American public education. There have been a lot of reports of school districts in Kansas and, and other places around the country banning books that have been written by LGBTQ authors and, and authors of color. I mean, how does that make you feel as somebody who identifies as trans and Native American? It's disappointing. You know, I, they're, the philosophy that they bring forward about, you know, it's not the state's responsibility to teach these to our kids, it's ours. Well, that's true. I think that parents should have the responsibility, but that doesn't mean the kids should not be exposed. You know, kids need to be exposed to things, especially if it's someone who identifies as part of that community, to look for that information, to find ways to go, oh, I'm not alone. And then if a parent says, can, you know, kid comes home and says, hey, we read this or I read this in the library, then the parent can have a discussion with the child about how their family values are, are maybe the same or different. But that, that child needs that opportunity. There's too many people that are out there that don't know it's safe to say something to their parents. So the only way they find out information about the things that they are struggling with when they're trying to figure out if it's safe to be themselves or, or not, they find in their school library, they find it in their, their teachers, they find it you know, in those ways to where they discover that this isn't me alone. Do you feel like these bills and these policies are indicative of a rise in anti-LGBTQ sentiment in Kansas or in the political realm generally? I, I can tell that from my perspective, what I've seen is as a nation, we have become much more accepting of the LGBTQ community. Uh, you know, you think about the fact that oh, the Obergefell decision was just 2015. It was just seven years ago. And look at where we are at now, where you, you see same-sex relationships depicted in commercials and on television and in the movies. And, you know, it, it's, it's not that unusual. And we've grown to accept that. We're in the process of accepting transgender identities, whether we're talking about, you know, actresses like Laverne Cox we see on mainstream television, or we're talking about the, the presence of, you know, uh, Admiral Rachel Levine in the, the cabinet positions in, in, you know, the White House. We see that exception taking place as well. And what this seems to me is a knee-jerk reaction to that exception. The people that are frustrated about it are using this as a tool to reverse things and to push the LGBTQ people back into the closet. It seems like a weird thing to say, but if you think about, for instance, trans athletes, if you take them out of the papers, if you put them where they can't be in that, that mainstream American newspaper that talks about the kid that ran the track meet, you've taken one level of acceptance away from people that may not know somebody directly who is trans, but now they don't see somebody. And so you're reversing that course. You're, you're turning this back into the United States of the 60s and the 70s. And you know, that I've lived through that. I don't want to live through it again. So last week, a few news outlets reported that Republican Representative Cheryl Helmer said she felt uncomfortable sharing a bathroom with you. What did it feel like to hear a colleague of yours say something like that? There are two different emotions that came through simultaneously. The, the first thing is that that's been the shoe that I've been waiting to, to drop, to, to hear it dropped for the last two years. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't run uh, with the idea that this would insulate me from things like that. Um, at the same time, it was surprising because while I have grown to understand that conversations and statements 
like hers are made in back rooms and behind closed doors throughout the Republican Party in the state of Kansas, they've rarely been said out loud. The fact that she would so egregiously bring this out, not just the comments in the email back and forth with the, with the grad student at KU, but also on our own social media, not just doubling down, but tripling down and going beyond. The, the one interview that she gave, she confirmed the things that she was saying and added to. And, you know, it, it's, it's easy to be distracted by those comments and then not notice that when we debated the motion to override the governor's veto on the trans sports bill, that the, the Republican that carried that bill to the floor in her speeches talked about transgender people being, you know, a mental health issue. They're mentally unwell. We had one legislator step up and, and talk about it being a lifestyle. You know, it, a lot of old tropes that, that the LGBTQ community has lived through in the early part of the 2000s. And we've gotten to a position where people understand that we are who we are, not by choice, but because that is who we are. Those things are, are kind of being skipped over and not seen because it's easy to focus on the loud person in the room and not notice that it's, it's not just her, it's, it's prevalent in more corners, but maybe more Midwestern polite in the way it's brought out loud. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to add? I think the one thing that needs to be added over and over again, when people operate their lives out of fear, they're afraid of what the future might hold. The future is going to change. There's nothing you can do about that. It will be different tomorrow than it was today. You know, the, the people that were afraid that we would never go back to the way we were before COVID. Well, we never are going to go back to the way we were before COVID because we've all survived a pandemic that none of us had experienced before. And so life changes. And the question is, is how do you embrace the new? How do you look at those things? And I would highly recommend to anybody to strongly consider how you can live your life out of love instead of out of fear. And let love be what guides you in these things and not, not the fear, not, not the, the being afraid. Does that mean not to be cautious? No, always be cautious because we live in a wild world sometimes. But don't let fear be the driving decision maker. Let it be love. Let it be how you can help somebody else out be what drives your decisions. Let it be how you can help your community be what drives your decisions. And let that love be what we see from everybody. That was Kansas Representative Stephanie Byers of Wichita. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news coverage from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.